going to be learning about uh, women's friendships. Love them, hate them. That's a person. That's a person. Just what you go through, right? Lord Jesus, we just so love you, and we thank you that uh, you are the head of us, that you are the author and the finisher of our faith, and that we are, oh, we are so thankful for that, that we just are able to uh, bow in your presence, Lord. We ask that you would be so pleased with us here and that we would hear from you, that my words would be yours and yours are life-changing. So, Lord, change my heart once again as you speak to us, Jesus. Allow these women to um, hear from you and not from me. Lord, allow them to walk away with nuggets of truth that uh, you have for them. I praise you for friendship. I thank you that you are our friend and that you have created us for relationships. So we love you, Lord, and we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We need each other. Did you know that? We do. We need each other. We need each other. We need girlfriends. We need the friends. We need the good, the bad, and the ugly. Not what we look like, but what we go through, right? We need to have friendships. And how many of you came with a friend today? Let me see. Okay. You came with a friend. We need to have friends. When you read through the Gospels, okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Jesus had friends. Intimate friends, casual friends. Some intimate friends of his, close circle, right? John, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? James, Peter. He bumped at Peter's house a lot, right? At Capernaum. And then he had Lazarus. He wept when he died. Then he raised him from the dead. Right, Martha and Mary, he had intimate friendships. He had a circle of friends. Okay, and when you think about your girlfriends right now, just think about, you know, what you share together. Think about what you enjoy doing together. Think about how often that you converse. Think about how you've gone through a storm and you'd weathered that storm together. You know, Proverbs has a lot to say about friends, and this is from the message. Proverbs 18.24 says, Friends come, friends go, but a true friend sticks to you like family. And in the NIV version it says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother or than a sister. Let's look at the wisdom from Solomon as he keeps talking in Proverbs 12:26, where he says, the righteous choose their friends carefully. The righteous, those who are right with God. Just what these sweet ladies were sharing. Those who are right with God choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. See, one must choose our friends carefully. And it's not by having the same earthly father, but it's by having the same heavenly father. You can have all types, all sizes, all colors of friends, but the true girlfriend is one that is righteous is one that is right with God, one who will love you in a way that acknowledges that Jesus is on the throne of her life or maybe on the stool of her life. Watch the screen. Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? You know whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions, but you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean... This feels great. Good fun. I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to go with me? No. No? 
Trying to sit on that stool along with him? Are you giving Jesus the right to your whole life? Are you giving him the right to your temper, like Kat needed to? To your deceit? To your pride? To your unforgiveness? To your choice of friends? Are you letting him be on the stool of your whole life? See, he wants you to be the person and the friend that he created you to be. He wants you to be the absolute best that he created you to be. To be able to, to be the kind of friend that Jesus speaks about in John 15:12 through 14. And this is from the message. This is my command. Love one another the way I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything that I have heard from the Father. Jesus calls us friends if we obey him, if we obey his commands, if we do the things that he commands us to do. In other words, if we give him the stool of our life. My mom used to tell me, to have a friend, Margot, you need to be one first. To have a friend... You need to be one first. So we're going to dig in and we're going to see how we can be a friend. A friend that has Jesus on the stool of our life. Do you guys Facebook? And you guys Facebook? Okay. I Facebook. All right. So, and, and, and Facebook is a great tool. However, it, it, you, know, you need to master it. It better not master you. And so what happens is, so if you notice in Facebook, there isn't a lot of depth in friendships, right? Uh, but, you know, you have sort of a, a constant communication with people, uh, but it's pretty shallow, okay? And, and Facebook isn't designed for the depth of friendship, okay? It's more like the quantity of friends that you have, okay, that know your every move if you wish them to know that, or, or they over-tell you, over-share all their every move, right? Okay, well, Facebook thrives because we all yearn for friendship. We all yearn for friendship. God created us that way. Genesis 2.18 said, it is not good for man, humankind, to be alone. 
and Mark Zuckerberg, who is the founder of Facebook in 2006, he sure cashed in on that idea, didn't he? He cashed in on it. In fact, Time Magazine recently listed him as one of the world's most influential people. And just last month, he's the youngest self-made businessman in history to be worth over a billion, a billion dollars. You know why? We all long for friendship. We all long to interact with each other. None of us is made to be self-sufficient. We need friends who care about us, friends that will help us make it through this life. Dr. James Lynch, in his book, The Broken Heart, he cites statistics showing that adults without deep relationships have a death rate that is twice as high as those who enjoy regular interaction with each other. Twice as high. And studies show that our relational life is just as much, uh, excuse me, is just as much impact as our physical life on us, like obesity, smoking, high blood pressure, and lack of exercise. And all of this is due to our Creator God. He did not design us to be relationally disconnected in our lives. Bill Hybels says it this way, God wired us with the desire to know and to be known, to love and to be loved, to serve and to be served. We were created to be in relationship with God first vertically and then relationship with each other horizontally. We were designed for community. And unlike Facebook, real friends take their masks off, right? They take their masks off. Conversations get deep. Hearts get vulnerable, lives are shared, accountability is invited, and the tenderness grows between each other. And with these types of friends, Jesus is honored as the head. Agape love, right? Sacrificial love for each other, right? Self-sacrificing love abounds. And then what happens is we really do become sisters. We share from our hearts at the deepest level. And you know what that's called? It's called giving each other unconditional love. Unconditional love. Acceptance of one another. Just like Christ accepted us. In our friendships, it is to be not like what you did or what you didn't do or your performance or how you didn't perform. It's not based on performance. It is based on who we are. Just who we are. People whom Jesus Christ valued enough to die for us. Loved enough to die for us. Like in Romans 15, verse 7, where it says, Accept one another, just as Jesus Christ has accepted you. And how did our Lord accept us? Unconditionally. He accepted you and I unconditionally. He opened his arms to us and he loved us, even while we were unlovely. And friendships who place Jesus Christ on the stool of their lives do the same for each other. Unconditional accepting love. I read of a story of some parents on the East Coast who got a telephone call from their son during the Korean War. He was on his way home. He was in San Francisco, and he called to tell them, and his parents were thrilled because they hadn't heard from him in months. And the conversation went something like this. He said, Mom, I want you to know I'm bringing home someone with me, a buddy with me. He got hurt pretty bad. He only has one leg, one arm, and one eye, and I'd sure like him to live with us. And his mom said, well, sure, son. Uh, he sounds like a brave man. We, we can find room for him for a while. Well, mom, you don't understand. Uh, I want him to come and live with us. Well, well, okay, we could try it for a few months or so. Well, no, mom, I really want him to stay with us. I mean, he's really hurt pretty bad. 
when he only has one leg, one arm, and one eye. And he's really, really in bad shape. And by now, the mom lost her patience. And she said, son, you know what? You're being unrealistic about this. You know, you're emotional because you've been at war. This boy is going to be a drag on you and a constant problem for us all. Come on, let's be reasonable. When she said this, the phone clicked dead. And the next day, the parents received a telegram telling them that their son had committed suicide. Not too soon after that phone call. When his body arrived, the parents looked down in unspeakable sorrow on their dead son, who they now could see had one eye, one leg, and one arm. He was the one who had been horribly wounded, who had been horribly disfigured in battle, and yet he yearned. He yearned to know that he was unconditionally loved in spite of it. And that's why he had called. All of us have this inner longing to be accepted as we are. In spite of our character flaws, in spite of what we look like, in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our insecurities, in spite of our immaturity. Just be loved for who we are. We need to know that someone accepts us Because they want to accept us. Not because they need to accept us or they have to accept us. But I'm telling you that each one of us needs unconditional love. That's how we're wired. And I'm not saying we're to ignore each other's sinful actions. But we need to love the person before we can help restore them and move them on along into spiritual growth. David Smith defines friendship this way. He says, a friend is one who knows you as you are, understands where you've been, accepts who you've become, and still gently invites you to grow up in Christ. And still gently invites you to grow up in Christ. Jesus was incredibly, I mean scandalously generous in his love as he walked this earth, right? He distributed unconditional love everywhere he went. I mean, people sensed the unconditional love of God wherever Jesus walked. And when we obey Jesus, when we obey that command, It's the same in our friendships, that we love unconditionally, that we love and being accepting. And that is a part of grace, grace, God's undeserved favor on us. For Acts 4.33 says, much grace is upon us all. We allow that grace to season our friendships, and that's what makes our relationships deep and meaningful. We've been given grace, as Stuart Briscoe says, so in turn, we can be gracious. To one another. You know, I, I came to know Jesus personally. I accepted him as my Savior. I uh, fell into an incredible love relationship with him, knowing him personally and passionately and powerfully when I was 31 years old. Before I was 31 and knowing him, I used to like to go to pubs. And there was especially one that I liked to hang out with, or hang out at, I should say. And I would find friends there who would acknowledge me, who would accept me as I was. They'd listen to my problems in a very non-threatening way and very non-judgmental as well. And Keith Miller wrote a book called The Edge of Adventure, and he talks about it this way. The neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit there is to fellowship Christ wants to give his Christ followers. It is an imitation, dispensing liquor instead of grace, escape rather than reality, but it is a permissive, accepting, and inclusive fellowship. It is unshackable. You can tell people secrets, and they usually don't tell others or even want to. 
The bar flourishes, not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and to be known, to love and be loved. And so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. Not just me, but we all thirst for grace. We thirst for grace. And if there is one place, listen ladies, if there is one place on this planet where a person should find acceptance, where a person should find love, if there's one place where a person can come to a person and thirst for grace and have it quenched, it should be in the real friendship that we have with each other as we follow hard after Jesus. That's where it should be quenched. 1 Peter 4.10 says, We are stewards. We are dispensers of the manifold grace of God. So as friends, we are to give each other unconditional love and acceptance. And then secondly, we need to share one another's pain. That's compassion. That's having your pain in my heart. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, we had given Grandma and Grandpa out in Iowa our Windsor van. And they only needed one car now, so they gave it back to us, which was a good thing, but it came with mechanical problems. And we were going to have our now junior drive the van. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) And so we looked into it, and we thought, you know what? All right, we can have this fixed for her. However, at the same time, good friends of ours that have five children just had their van break down. And it wasn't worth repairing, nor did they have the funds to buy another one. And so we offered them our Windstar, but not without having Jack Safro in Oconomowoc fix the mechanical problems. However, it was the transmission. And so we shared with the dealership what we were going to do. We were going to give the van to our friends who didn't have a vehicle nor monies to fix it. So instead of having to pay $2,500 to repair it, we asked if they would help somehow in this situation. And Chuck Catula, the GM, who is a Jesus follower, did just that. And $500 later, our friends had a like new van. Compassion, right? Their pain in our hearts. I teach, as I mentioned, uh, Bible studies called BSLs. And I'm telling you, these women are growing up in Christ and being discipled. And, and I see things that happen all the time. Whenever there's a need, they pick up their cup and they fulfill it. It's amazing. Uh, Billy and her child needed a place. Uh, a home to stay, and Annie picked up that cup, and she came and lived with her. A lady had a hard time falling asleep, uh, and so one of the ladies said, I have an extra shuffle. Why don't you listen to praise music on the shuffle? Uh, Kelly was going through a very trying divorce, and Jackie came alongside and took her to all the court proceedings and drove her and stayed with her. I could go on and on and on. That's real friendship. That's real friendship. That's biblical friendship. That's having Jesus on the stool of your life. And you know, the Apostle Paul had two incredibly close friends, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who were compassionate believers. In Philippians 2, verse 20, Paul told the Philippians that Timothy was so genuinely concerned about their welfare, meaning the Philippian Christians, okay, their welfare. In verse 26, he said that Epaphroditus was deeply distressed about the Philippian Christians, not wanting them to worry about his own welfare. These two disciples were looking out for the interest of their friend, Jesus. 
They were copying their Savior by compassionately feeling the pain for others. And you know, I don't know about you, but we can tend to be extremely busy women. Busy lifestyles. Moms, wives, working, whatever it is, whatever labels that you have, our busy lifestyles will make us lose our ability to feel compassion for the difficulties of each other. We'll become selfishly preoccupied about our own pleasures. I want you to think about it. How long has it been since you were emotionally moved by the concern and anxiety that someone else was experiencing? How long has it been since you cried over someone else's problems? William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, preached a message after which hundreds of people came to know Jesus after he preached the gospel. And when the service was over, an assistant found William Booth crying. He said, why are you crying? Think of all the ones who came to Christ. And William Booth said, I was just thinking of all the hundreds that didn't. That didn't. Wow. I was just thinking of all the others that didn't come to Christ. It is so important that we are moved by the pain for others. For this is the way that Jesus responds to the hurts of the world. Are our hearts broken for the things that break Jesus' heart? When I was on the fish, I would have incredible opportunities to go uh, on short-term mission trips. And I remember one in particular. I went to Jamaica with food for the poor. And I arrived there, and um, it wasn't the white shore in the aqua blue ocean that you see in the commercials or maybe that you've been to, but to the real Jamaica, where people like you and I live. But they live in hovels. They live in, they can't even be called shacks, that are made of newspaper and cardboard and scraps and tin and anything that they can find to put a roof over their head. And then the rains come, and then it completely demolishes it, and they have to do it all over again. Inside this six-by-eight shack lay a double mattress just on the ground where six people slept. A blind grandma slept sitting up so that her daughter and her four grandkids could sleep across her. No running water, no stove, no facilities, no locking door. Sticks were used to fend off the rats at night. When I was there, uh, through food for the poor, we were able to put finishing touches on a 10 by 12 home, complete with foundation, louvered windows to keep out the elements, uh, locking doors, and actually I get to paint white paint on the porch of this incredibly beautiful teal-colored home. And I remember Sydney, the director of food for the poor, dedicating this home to Jesus with the family there and then many others who came from around because they too were in need of a home. And he said this, this home is not a magic home. This home did not just appear. Because of the compassion of some Jesus-loving Americans, because of their sacrificial giving, because of your pain in their hearts, God has given you this home. But it didn't come without sacrifice. You know, I will never, ever be the same again. You know, I felt the pain of these incredibly precious Jamaicans as if it were my own. And still to this day, we are involved with food for the poor. Why do we sacrifice? 
Why do we sacrifice to meet each other's needs? Because we have all had our burdens lightened. You know by who? By the same Savior. We have all had our sins washed away by the same blood. We have all had the same Lord laid down his life for us. And this compels us. This We can't do anything else but it hems us in to do that for one another. Let me put it this way. Since we've all experienced God's grace, his undeserved favor, it's possible for us then to share that true koinonia, that true fellowship, that genuine, genuine friendship. And this kind of friendship allows us to share something with each other, something tangible like I talked about, like the shuffle or like a home or a van or friend's presence. We help each other with those concrete needs because we see the help and we go for it and we want to help them. Just like the Christians did in Acts 2 with the early church. He said they sold all their possessions and gave to anyone as they had need. They sold all their possessions and gave to anyone as they had need. But not only do we share something with each other, but we have something with each other, right? We share something with each other, right? When friends go through tough times, we hurt with them. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we mourn with those who mourn. That kind of friendship is precious. That's friendship that God wants for us. So not only as friends are we to love with unconditional love and acceptance, and not only are we to bear each other's pain, have compassion for one another, but lastly we're to encourage and admonish each other. To encourage, right? In other words, we need to care enough to do all we can to help each other become the person God created us to be. He wants us to be his best. And we are to come along and cheer for him. And you know the tools that we use? Encouragement and admonishment. Hebrews 10.24 says this. Let us think of one another and how we can encourage one another to love and good deeds. In Greek, the word for encouragement is paraklesis. And it's used more than a hundred times in the New Testament. It literally means called alongside to help. Okay, It means called alongside to help. And that's what we are to do for each other. By encouraging each other to grow up. Don't stay a baby. Come on, grow up. Let's be more like Jesus and less like our putrid selves. Let's go. Let's do it together. Have you guys seen the movie Secretariat? Oh, great movie. I have a horse. I especially thought that was an incredible movie. All right? We watched it as a family again just the other night. Okay? And what a show. Fastest race horse ever. Won the Triple Crown. Good old Big Red is out there. Right? But not only was the show amazing with this endurance of this horse and how he continued to run and the strength of this horse. But I noticed the owner and the spectators, how they got involved as well, right? They were in the stands, but they participated in the race as well with their eyes going back and forth and watching Secretariat and urging Secretariat on. They'd raise their hands and wave and lean forward as if they were helping him. And, you know, I believe we do the same thing for our friends. I believe that while... We are competing in the divine race along the course of life that we are encouraging each other, that we come alongside and say, you know what, let's go a little faster. Let's do a little better. Let's go. We vigorously exhort each other to keep on keeping on. We root for each other. We spur each other to love 
and good deeds, by encouraging, because we are for each other. We're not against each other. We're for each other. We believe in our God-given potential for each other. You know, I mentioned Becca. She's a junior. I have a, a sixth grader as well, Tori. But my junior, who, when she was four years old, I remember how she learned to swim at the Y. And I sat on the side of the pool. I'm sure many of you did this as well, okay? And I would see her, and she'd put her head under the water. I'd say, oh, good job, Becca, putting your head under the water. Oh, that's great. Good job. And she'd wait. She'd wave, she'd hold on to the pool, and then she'd do it again and again and again because, you know, mom's going, hey, good job, oh, under the water, nice job, and she'd wave and do it again and again, right, I'm rooting her on, I'm encouraging her, right, and I still do that throughout her life now, except now it's like I sit in the passenger seat and I go, Good job, Becca, staying between those two white lines on the freeway. <laughs> Good job as we're going around La Crosse and it bends and the, you're going 65. Good job, honey. Good job, right? Thankfully, she doesn't take her hand off the wheel and look over at me and say, Thanks, Mom. <laughs> but you know what? I know inside she is. I know inside she's smiling and she's waving at me. You know why? Because I'm rooting her on. I'm encouraging her. And we as friends are to be just like that. You could say we're like bleacher creatures. We're supposed to be rooting each other. We cheer each other on in life. We celebrate each other's victories, and we mourn each other's setbacks. But helping each other reach our God-given potential is way more than just cheering. Often it involves correcting each other. Correcting each other in the Lord when we sin and we stray from that potential. And that's the admonishing part. That's helping each other to be our very best. And, you know, I think some of us shy away from that disciplined kind of thinking. You know, thinking that we're doing the loving thing, you know, means, you know, allowing to have our friend just do whatever she wants to do. And, you guys, that's not love. It's not even sane. I mean, try it with your three-year-old, and chances are that kid won't turn four. Okay, that is not, you know, being for someone is a deeper quality of friendship. God calls us to that. They're just wanting to spare them pain. And, you know, sometimes that involves telling a friend that, you know, this might hurt, but I need to share this with you. I've seen something in your life. I've seen you walk this way. I've seen, you know, some sinful behavior that's, that's, that's taking a stronghold. You admonish them in love, even at the risk of your friendship. And this is hard for us to swallow, but Proverbs 27, 6 says... Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Friends can tell each other the truth, even when the truth hurts, because they know that the truth is always best, and they only want God's best for each other, as they are continually falling hard. See, true friendship love is ready to warn, is ready to reprove, is ready to confront when needed. And that's called admonishing. Admonishing. We're to nurture each other in such a way that we grow up in Christ. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all... I'm sorry, let me do it again. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Girlfriends, 
women friendships. Learning to relate to each other as Jesus would, continually, until we see him face to face. Using what? His unconditional love. His acceptance. His compassion. Pain that's in your heart from someone else that you can experience. His encouraging. His admonishing. As you allow him to continue to sit on the stool of your life. Jesus commanded in John 13, 34, and 35, saying, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all men, all women know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. In closing, I have a story. You know, there's a special joy that binds two friends who will sacrifice for one another. If your girlfriend finds you in need, she'll find a way to help, right? A friend will never ask, how great is the risk? They'll say, what time? How can I be there? Where do you need me? Not even the threat of death will hold back a Jesus on the stool of her life friend. There's a story of a six-year-old girl who became deathly ill, and to survive, she needed to have a blood transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the same illness. And the situation was uh, she had a very rare blood type. And her nine-year-old brother qualified for this person and could be the donor, but everybody was hesitant to ask him because he was a child. Finally, they agreed to have the doctor go and ask him the question, and the physician went to the boy and asked if he would be willing to be brave and donate blood for his sister. And though the little boy didn't understand such things, the boy agreed without hesitation and said, Sure, I'll give blood for my sister. And he lay down beside his sister, and he pricked his arm with the needle, and then he closed his arms, and he laid silently next to his sister as the pint of blood was taken. And soon thereafter, the physician came in to thank the little guy, and the boy with quivering lips and tears running down his cheeks asked the doctor, Doctor, when do I die? At that moment, the doctor realized that the naive little boy thought that by giving his blood, he was also giving his life. And quickly, he reassured the little guy that he wasn't going to die, but was amazed at his courage, and he asked him, Why were you willing to sacrifice your life for her? And he said, Because she's my sister. Because she's my friend. And I love her. Jesus says in John 15, 12, and 13, My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. How are you doing? How are you doing? Are you can't? On the video? Or are you really going to give Jesus the stool of your life? Because when you do, not only will your friendship with God the Father through Jesus Christ become rich and more meaningful, but so will your friendships. That's right. Lord, we thank you so much that you have... Uh, you have spoken. We thank you that you have created us as you have created us. And we just absolutely revel in that. Lord, may we walk away from here knowing, knowing that we know that uh, from you and to you and through you are all things. And we praise you for being our friend and calling us friend in you and then allowing us to live in community. In your precious name we pray. Amen.